Friday edition of PFT PM wrapping up the work week. The work never ends for us at ProFootballTalk.com. Then again, the work never starts because we don't actually work. But don't tell anyone that or they'll try to not pay us. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here with you. Miles, we are one week closer to death. That is our Friday tradition, (laughs) our morbid Friday tradition. Although I'm in a good mood today because I... I had my medical procedures on Wednesday, which we have discussed more thoroughly than most would prefer that we do. I'm feeling good. Clean bill of health. Everything's fine. So this weekend, I am going to treat myself to maybe a steak, maybe a cigar, maybe some wine, maybe some whiskey, maybe a lot of each. Who knows? The possibilities are limitless over the next couple of days. Well, that sounds like a really good weekend, Mike. Maybe I should drive down there and join you since you're all vaccinated and whatnot. <laughs> I actually would never. Well, do you know, that. you're not. You, you, well, you're not that far away. The invitation is coming, oh. and you're going to have a real conundrum because you're not <laughs> going to want to come, but you're going to feel like you have to come. So I'm going to put you in that box eventually. Now, uh, I, I'm less likely to do it if you will confess when your birthday is but the longer you hold out on the birthday information the more likely it is that you will get that invitation that you will feel like you can't refuse even though every fiber of your being will not want to have to deal with me any more than you already do on this platform and periodically on pft live but uh, it is friday and there is news in the national football league and we're going to get to it Uh, and and one one important item of nfl news that And let me just make this clear. We only talk about it when there are developments. There are people out there like, why are you talking about Deshaun Watson? Well, he's one of the best players in the league. And he's embroiled in a controversy that is in many respects unprecedented. And when there are developments, we can't ignore them. We have to discuss them. We have to make sure people understand what's happening because people have questions and people are curious and people want to know how this saga is going to play out. So, Miles, here's the first bit of news because there were multiple developments today with Deshaun Watson. There were multiple court hearings for the first time, these cases in court. And the first line of defense by Rusty Harden, who's been hired to represent Deshaun Watson, is to try to force the plaintiffs who are proceeding without their names attached to their lawsuits to do so. And more specifically, I think he wants them to face that decision of, do I do it or do I just try to take some sort of a reasonable settlement and move on now and step aside from this 22 plaintiff group and let it shrink down to a smaller group? So bottom line is, without getting into all the nuances, Rusty Harden has prevailed. That's the good news. The bad news is Rusty Harden has prevailed because to the extent that it's going to cause most of these folks to say, I'll just take a small amount of money and move on. Right now, I think the number is 14 of the plaintiffs who are willing to disclose their names. And as more do it, what happens, Miles? More will be willing to do it. It wouldn't surprise me if all 22 eventually allow their names to be disclosed because there will be strength in numbers. Right, exactly. And so when there, are, when there is that strength in numbers, then you are at least among a group. I think one of the things that stood out to me just from all of the developments today is Ashley Solis and uh, what happened with her that uh, Busby said, you know, that she was receiving a lot of threats. So if that's one person, you know, and that all of the threats would be death threats, assault threats, and all kinds of different things that have come up. If that comes to one person, then I think what we're talking about in the strength in numbers, yes, that extends to all these women who say, you know, something happened to me that is not right. And that's why I have come forward with this suit. And that's why I'm also willing to come forward with my name to make sure that this can go forward and proceed so that we can get some sort of justice in the civil justice system. And I think that ultimately what Rusty Harden was hoping to do was to apply some settlement pressure to the entire group. I think Rusty Harden would like to get Tony Busby to the table in a meaningful way where they can attempt to work this out, where they can attempt to make things right, where they can attempt to put this behind Deshaun Watson so he can continue with his life and his football career. And I feel compelled to say this every time the topic comes up. I'm not suggesting that this be a simple exercise of just writing a check and making it go away. I think Deshaun Watson has a reckoning that he needs to experience. He needs to make things right with these individuals. He needs to understand why they believe 
that the line was crossed. And I think when you get folks in a room together and you have an experienced and skilled mediator who is good at bringing these folks together and creating an atmosphere of conciliation and ultimately settlement, it can happen. But you got to get Tony Busby to come to the table. And my guess is Rusty Harden's had a hard time doing that because there's value in being coy. My prediction, and this is a complete throw-a-dart prediction, I think at some point, let's say the Monday of draft week, I suspect that Tony Busby is going to send a lengthy letter to Rusty Harden that articulates the case, that articulates the strengths, that touches on the broader dynamics and makes a firm demand, maybe some room to move, but not much, a demand for each client as to what it'll take to get the case settled by the time the draft begins on Thursday. And by then, if it doesn't settle, then Busby's approach will be we're going forward with all of these cases and they may hover over Deshaun Watson for months, if not years to come. That's just a guess. That's something I would consider as a tactic to put maximum pressure on Deshaun Watson to resolve these cases before the draft in the hopes that he could maybe be traded and get on with his career in 2021. Right. That was a question that I was going to ask you then, like, because you, you would think that that is the day because it's not necessarily a drop dead date, but it's one of these dates where it would make sense because of the draft upcoming and because of all of the ways that the football decisions have to then follow from what these legal decisions are right it's something that you would say all right it would make sense if Deshaun Watson is going to get traded then he would get traded on or around the NFL draft because that is when picks are flying and teams are making all kinds of decisions so in terms of the football calendar that's why you think that date makes sense then yeah and even then First of all, I think it's difficult, if not impossible, to get 22 cases settled before the draft. It's 20 days away. And it may be that Tony Busby's letter needs to be initiated sooner than later, so they have a small window to try to get it resolved, and then they have a week or two to get the paperwork done. Because if I'm going to trade for Deshaun Watson, I want to know case is resolved, case is over, no loose ends, no maybes or ifs or contingencies they're done, and the only thing that I have to worry about moving forward is what the NFL may do by way of an unpaid suspension. See, the unpaid suspension is always going to be there at the end of the road. But until we get to the end of the road, Deshaun Watson quite possibly is not going to be permitted to play. It should be just a matter of time before, with all of these complaints against him, he's placed on the commissioner exemplus. Now, I've argued the NFL should do it now. The NFL's position typically is in the offseason. There's nothing to tell a guy to stay away from. So why are we creating an unnecessary headline and making this a point of further discussion on shows like this and on websites like PFT? Let's just do nothing. Regardless, something I think gets done if these cases are still lingering when training camp rolls around. So that's why I think there'd be an impetus to try to do something now. Get them done. Get them finished and see if there's a way you can do it the right way, and then maybe there's a trade that can be had, knowing that there will be some uncertainty as to what the NFL ultimately does with Deshaun Watson. Could it be suspended four games, six games, ten games, a full season? I wouldn't be surprised with all these claims if he's suspended a full season, Miles. We just don't know, and that's part of the risk. And I was talking to somebody about it today who's very plugged into the way things work in the league. You know, Watson is good enough that – you could see a team trading for Deshaun Watson if the window opens and it's a deal where you look at it and say, you're getting a franchise quarterback for nothing or next to nothing or a very reasonable price. If he's going to miss all of 2021, we can live with that because we're going to have him after that. His contract's going to toll for a year and we're going to have him for the next 10 or 15 years. So we can deal with one year of anticipation and not having Deshaun Watson. Next year, we've got our guy and everybody knows we've got our guy. We can market it. And, you know, the passage of time, if he gets the proper reckoning, if he does make it right, the passage of time sets him up for redemption. And we like a good redemption story. So, again, it's not going to be easy to do, but but there's 20 days to try to do something. And my guess is that Watson would like to, if he could, the challenge is going to be pulling it off. Right. And I think what you said about maybe having a trade there in that team that would acquire him saying, yes, all of this is worth it if we get the franchise quarterback, because I think I was saying this yesterday, production equals tolerance, right? And we talk about that from all kinds of different standpoints. But when you're talking about a franchise quarterback who is an elite quarterback, 
sometimes no matter what they've done, no matter how horrible it could be, right, and all these things that are still alleged out there, and we don't know if Deshaun Watson has done them or not, but even in the court of public opinion, you it's almost a little bit easier to sell that when you know that you're getting a franchise quarterback who has performed at an elite level. Now, whether that should or should not be the case, I think is an entirely different issue. But when you're talking about, again, a quarterback who has played at the level that Deshaun Watson has for a couple of years now, it's reasonable to assume that a team would make that trade because his trade value has diminished and whether or not he gets suspended or for whatever length he gets suspended, that team would then say, yes, we now have a quarterback that can set us up for not just next year but or two years, but potentially for the next decade. So there's a lot that I think goes into this, and there's a lot that's going to continue to go into this as these cases continue and as we continue to hear from the lawyers from both sides. But there's, it's just it's a nuanced situation, Mike, and I think that's what kind of makes it tough to discuss. Yeah, and all these teams are clamoring for quarterbacks at the top of the draft because they want that answer for a decade or longer. Having a great quarterback helps people keep jobs, and it helps members of the staff who don't have the highest level of jobs get jobs elsewhere. That's what the value is, and that's why there surely are teams carefully monitoring this, looking for an opportunity to swoop in and try to buy low. That's the key. You can buy Deshaun Watson's contract low if you move at the right time and if you're willing to stand in the shoes of the employer who may not know what's going to happen. Now, what did happen this afternoon at 3 o'clock Eastern time, Rusty Harden had his first press conference regarding the case. And if I can summarize the attitude accurately and appropriately, the attitude was... We don't want anyone to reach any premature judgments about this case. But listen to all these people who are going to come up and vouch for Deshaun Watson's innocence. Did I accurately summarize what happened? Yeah, I think that you did, Um, especially just from the standpoint that it was Rusty Harden and then four female attorneys who then came up and then talked about everything that they've learned about Deshaun Watson's character. There was one lawyer who came up and she said that she didn't even know who Deshaun Watson was before this process started and before he walked into her office. But then she is now convinced that he's not capable of doing something like this. And that, to me, is where you're getting into territory where you start to really believe something about somebody's character. But character is what we do when nobody else is watching. And unfortunately, whenever we're talking to somebody, we don't necessarily know what anybody is doing when nobody else is watching. So that that really struck me as something where it's like, man, it does not mean that he did it, but it also really doesn't mean that he didn't do it. And I think that sometimes we should take a step back and just say, we don't always know people's character, even when they are in front of us and they are appealing to us and they seem as believable as can be. The lawyers are trying to score points, obviously, in the court of public opinion. And you could argue that Deshaun Watson has already been lapped multiple times by Tony Busby in the court of public opinion. And there was a lot of complaining by Rusty Harden about the things Tony Busby has done. But at the same time, Rusty Harden and his team using tactics that I believe are disingenuous and unfair when you're trying to say we believe in due process we want this process to play out and then you're having people come up and say i don't think he's capable of this behavior well first of all the last folks who are going to be testifying at the trial of any of these 22 civil actions are the lawyers and obviously the lawyers are paid to vouch for and defend the client but They want to gloss over that because they are trying desperately to try to level the playing field in the court of public opinion. And, of course, the easiest way to do it, Miles, would have been to bring Deshaun Watson and let him speak. You saw the clip at the beginning where Rusty Harden said he'd have to he'd have to uh, turn in his malpractice insurance if he allowed Deshaun Watson to do it. And the look, the safe course of action is you never let your clients speak in any setting like this because anything you say will be used against you in civil court, criminal court, if it comes to it. But I I feel like the time for third-party vouching has ended. Once one of the individuals tells her story and we see the face and hear the voice, right? Well, that's when... 
I think the ship sails on lawyers who are paid to say good things about Deshaun Watson saying good things about Deshaun Watson. And what they could have done, they could have written their own statement with Deshaun Watson's input. They could have crafted a document that he could have sat there and read and taken no questions, just like Ashley Solis took no questions. But we get a chance to see Deshaun Watson, to hear Deshaun Watson. And as long as the words used are words that they would be comfortable having attached to his story from now until the end of this matter, would be fine. Could have done it. Maybe should have done it. Because, again, at this point, when you have an individual who's already given us name, face, and voice, I I really am not interested in hearing third parties vouch for the person who's supposedly innocent. I want to hear from the person who's supposedly innocent. I agree with you, Mike. And I think it's not just um, Solis who talked. It's the letter that was read by another one of these accusers. It was it's the article that came out um, at SI.com last week. I mean, there are now multiple accounts that at least have some sort of name attached to it. Then, like, it's not just something that's in the suit. Now, I believe that actually that SI.com article was still under an anonymous name, but it, it, you understand what I'm saying here, right? It's not just that we have one person. We have multiple accounts. We have multiple personal accounts. I think when you take a look at that article from last week, even, that woman was not a part of one of these suits, right? She had had the opportunity to link up with Tony Busby, Correct. and she she decided not to do that, at least at this time. So... I think when you take all of that into account, I think you're absolutely right. It's not time to just hear from lawyers who are paid to say that, uh, to to really say the best things about Deshaun Watson because it's their job uh, to prove or at least say that he is innocent of all of these things. So that's one thing. Now, if we hear from Deshaun Watson, it is another, whether it was a prepared statement or not. It, It is another thing when you're actually hearing from that person and having them say what it is that they mean. I almost felt like at times the media was being chastised for whatever it was that we've done over the course of the past few weeks. What we've done is cover the case. What we've done is reach our conclusions regarding who's winning in the court of public opinion because both sides have been playing the court of public opinion. And I think it's fair to make decisions based upon that prism, that context, court of public opinion understanding that none of it's going to matter when it's time to go to court, civil, criminal, or both. But look, a big part of this, when you're talking about someone who has the profile that Deshaun Watson has had for years, a big part of this is how is the average person going to process and react to this information? Because just like a juror who is in the box at the beginning of a trial, when the judge says you shall not reach any conclusions about anything until the end of the case, the reality is they do. They immediately do. I used to explain to people that it's impossible to not begin to at least root for a side. It's like turning on a football game involving two colleges you've never heard of. There it is. It's all I don't know. I got nothing else to watch. Two colleges I've never heard of before. They're playing football. I like football. I'll watch it. Until you start rooting for one team or the other, you really don't have skin in the game. You really aren't engaged. You want to see a certain outcome. And that's what happens to jurors at trials. And that's what happens to jurors in the court of public opinion. They get invested. They develop opinions. They come to conclusions. They align with one side or the other. And so far, Tony Busby's done a great job of aligning members of the public. I'm not going to say how many. I don't know what the percentage is, but I feel like Busby's been more effective than Harden. Now, something Harden said today relating to what actually occurred, a little preview of the defense that we may be experiencing and witnessing at some point as these cases unfold. Here's Rusty Harden admitting on Deshaun Watson's behalf that sometimes these massages became consensual sexual activities. Here's Harden. Deeply, deeply do not believe this guy ever did anything non-consensual with any woman during any of this. He didn't coerce him. We don't believe he used his position. We don't usually believe he intimidated him. We simply do not. There, were there sometimes consensual encounters? Yes. And will that come out in, a, in any kind of litigation or trial? Of course it will. And that's where it should come out. Okay. Here's what we're going to have. 22 cases, 22 plaintiffs. Other witnesses, potentially, who will be subpoenaed to testify regarding consensual activities that they aren't complaining about. Because they're going to try to get a full picture 
of the extent to which Deshaun Watson was using massage therapy sessions as a potential gateway to sexual activity. And you've got the 22 individuals who have concerns about him, plus however many others are out there who haven't sued, who won't sue, who were engaged in consensual activities, and we don't know what that number is. We have no idea. We may never know with certainty, but I suspect both lawyers are going to try to figure it out. But, Miles, here's what it's going to come down to. Deshaun Watson admitting that at times he has engaged in consensual sexual activities within the confines of these massage sessions that he books via Instagram. More on that in a second. But in this case, there was nothing that involved pressure, coercion, use of my profile in order to get someone to do something they don't want to do. And the woman in each case is going to say, but you did. How do you resolve that? 22 cases. How do you resolve that standoff? Sometimes, sometimes massage therapy leads to sex. But not in this case. That's Deshaun. Plaintiff. He tried to get me to have sex with him. He tried to pressure me into having sex with him. Sometimes, sometimes, yes, totally consensual. 22 different individuals saying he tried and it made me uncomfortable and I was touched. And they all have different specific accusations, but it's all got that similar thread. A massage that this individual had designs on becoming more than a massage. That is a tough needle to thread 22 times under the very low standard of preponderance of the evidence, Miles. I, I hate to use this example, but I think it, it gives you an idea of how difficult this is going to be. Assuming there are 22 cases, 22 juries, 22 instances of trying to prove this case, this is the equivalent to win, to be exonerated, to never be found guilty of anything when you consider the standard is basically 5149. This is like flipping a coin 22 times and having it come up heads 22 times. That's what he's facing, in my estimation. Well, and that I think just sets out just how difficult it is, right? Because when you talk about the preponderance of evidence, and I think that that is really the key phrase, and when it boils down to it and all the legalese, it just means 51% culpability. So if that is the case, then preponderance of evidence is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And, you know, proof beyond a reasonable doubt is what I think most people think of when we think of the legal system, because everybody watches things like law and order. And, you know, that's what you see in the courtroom and all that. This is a completely different thing. So if you have to, to do that, right, if you have to go preponderance of evidence and you have to go 22 times without uh, proving that, then, like you're saying, Mike, that is extremely difficult, especially, I think, based on what we've heard so far in the court of public opinion. And now the court of public opinion is not a court of law. But when we think about all the different things that we've heard, when we think about the statements that we've heard from folks who have allegedly been assaulted, right? And we think about Ashley Solis and the personal statement that she gave. Then I think you're really illustrating what it is that you're saying that, you know, if you're flipping a coin 22 times, it's very difficult for it to always come up heads. And really, th th these civil cases with that low standard of basically who do you believe? You're asked to resolve this. Who do you believe? There's not going to be a tie here. There's not going to be a wash. I mean, there could be a hung jury, but the, there's no outcome on the verdict form for draw. It's either plaintiff prevails or defendant prevails. It's that simple. Did the plaintiff prove by a preponderance of the evidence that there was whatever the specific allegation may be in a given case? And I know from my experience for 18 years, every case I ever took to trial could have gone either way. And I know from trial training exercises I was involved in, when you have a closed circuit camera that the jurors who come from the community who know it's all fake, but they get into it and they get engaged and you hear the things they talk about in the jury room and you think, why do we even have rules of evidence? Why do we even why do we even bother? Because they're going to bring their own experiences to the table and you get a collection of individuals who are unique in every case impossible to think with any degree of certainty that Deshaun Watson is going to be exonerated 22 times given the allegations that are made and given that Rusty Harden has acknowledged that sometimes 
consensual sexual activity occurred. One more clip from Harden addressing why Deshaun Watson utilized Instagram for the purposes of arranging so many different massage therapy sessions. Getting two to three massages a week. The math I do on that is anywhere from 120 to 140 to 150 massages a year. He's been here since 1918. In the year 2020, all of a sudden, spas shut down. If y'all remember, nobody was getting massages unless they came up with an ad hoc way to do it. So that partly, that, that doesn't mean exclusively. He'd gone on Instagram for four to line up, and he did. But I've learned, but the, the fact is, the world, massage world during the pandemic changed. If you look at these allegations, my calculation is every one of them occur after we shut down for the pandemic. I was in a trial, so I'm pretty mindful of when everything shut down, and everything shut down the middle of March. First one of these allegations is late March of last year. That doesn't mean that he was never using Instagram before. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that if you are a busy, active athlete, and you are traveling constantly as he was, then you are going to have immediate, when you want to get one, you can't predict it ahead of time. And by the way, these, these football teams don't have this battery of, of masseuses. I think that's probably something when y'all look into it and start talking, you'll find out it's not the case. These, all these players, they use different masseuses. Which is another thing that I had to learn because of the generational aspect. Millennials live on Instagram. Those of you who are millennials know that. Those of you who are not have probably discovered it long before I. They do business on it. Deshaun lives on Instagram. He does business transactions on Instagram. Other people do. I'm discovering a much more prevalent use of it than I had any idea. Okay. Are we clear? We're clear. So here's, 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 a lot here's there. my concern. There's a lot there. Let me just try to unpack two things very quickly. First of all, NFL teams do have a battery of massage therapists. They do. I don't know where he's pulling that from. They do. Yeah. They do. They do. Okay. Secondly, secondly, to the extent that the pandemic deprives you of the ability to regularly be massaged by the person that you ordinarily would use. Let's assume that's true. What the hell is he doing ricocheting around from massage therapist to massage therapist? Don't you think he'd eventually find one person like let's oh i can't use for whatever reason my regular massage therapist during the pandemic can't use my regular massage therapist it's a pandemic okay fine so you find one other one somewhere and you use that one over and over again not this revolving door that's where the logic of this falls apart for me miles well and he's talking about rusty rusty Harden's talking about he's going to different cities and he's doing this and he's doing that and so that's why he has to find all of these different massage therapists You mean to tell me he's going to 40 different cities and needs 40 different massage therapists? And I just, it it doesn't track to me. And I'm glad that you brought up the thing about how the NFL teams don't allegedly have a cadre of masseuses. Yes, they do. I've seen them in locker rooms all the time. (laughs) Everybody has. I mean, if you've covered the NFL, you know that that is, it's frankly, it's just not true. And you know why, especially why we know this, because they were testing folks coming in and out of their facilities. So that with COVID to make sure that it would be safe, right? We heard about the guy who was cutting hair for the Kansas city chiefs. Why do we think that we knew that the guy providing haircuts had COVID? You really think that they wouldn't test people who are giving massages? Come on, man. Of course they are. It's because they, they, there's sports science that goes into that. You know, it, it's just that whole, that comment just struck me as so odd. And I don't know where he's getting that from, but yeah, that, that, that didn't make any sense to me. Sometimes you just got to make chicken salad out of the facts that you have. And I think that, A lot of what we heard today from Rusty Harden and his colleagues who spoke, they're doing their damnedest to represent their client. Let's not forget that. Tony Busby's trying to represent his clients. Rusty Harden is trying to represent his client. The individuals who spoke on behalf of Deshaun Watson were trying to represent his interests. The truth will come out in court, but don't forget, 
unless these cases are consolidated, and that is a lot of eggs to put in one basket if you're Deshaun Watson, and I wouldn't do it with 22 because at some point it becomes an avalanche that is undeniable by that one jury. You got 22 juries. You got that low standard of proof. You got to flip that coin and have it come up your way 22 times when it's time to go to trial. I would not want those odds if I was Deshaun Watson. All right, let's take a break. Some draft news. If you haven't heard, the draft is 20 days away. Things going on throughout the NFL as it relates to the draft when PFTPM continues right after this. Here's Nick Bosa on Instagram showing his progress from a torn ACL. Suffered back in week two of the 2020 season, moving well laterally. Huge individual, one of the best pass rushers already in the NFL. Got a lot to prove this year that he's healthy again for the San Francisco 49ers. That guy, I would get out of the way if I saw that guy coming at me the way he was coming. All right, a couple of draft items to discuss. I was told earlier today, and for whatever reason, I decided not to name the owner. but, But I was told of one owner of a team in the top 10 who has an inherent hesitation about drafting any of the players who opted out of the 2020 NCAA season. That is just so unfortunate to have that hard and fast rule because there were very real reasons to be concerned about the pandemic. And these guys aren't being paid to play college football. And they have intensely personal reasons for doing what they did. Caleb Farley explained to Chris Sims earlier this week why he didn't want to do it and he didn't feel comfortable. And there was no global standards miles for these colleges. They were left to their own devices. There was no NFL protocol. The NCAA didn't get involved. So I I really think you're asking for trouble if you hold it against a guy who held out or wrapped it out, excuse me, because then what's going to happen is somebody else is going to draft him and he's going to be a great player there. I, uh, unless it's just this attitude of we don't want anyone who doesn't know his place, who isn't willing to submit. And if you do anything to suggest that you might be that guy who steps out of line, we don't want you here because we want robots who will always do what we want them to do all the time. And I hate that aspect of the NFL. And and it's really an element of football. I mean, think about it. You're conditioned from when you're a little kid, when you first play the game, to always submit to authority. But I think that plenty of these owners want no one who has ever shown any inclination to push back against the authority that is their football team. Of course not. And I, to an extent, I understand that. But I think that if you're an owner that has a team that's in the top 10, and you're going to say... I'm not drafting Sewell as my left tackle because he didn't play in the 2020 season. Really? Now, I'm not going to draft Jamar Chase, even though he was terrific for LSU and played great with Joe Burrow because he didn't play in the 2020 season. That's your loss, man. I mean, I, I don't know why that you really want to do that. If that's the way you want to play it, then go on ahead. Because like you said, that that player is going to fall to somebody else in the draft. That team is going to run up to the proverbial podium. And then they're going to say, yes, please, I will take that player. Because I have a good feeling that that player is going to be great in our system and is going to show the rest of the league, and particularly that team that passed up on them, that he is an excellent football player and that he should have been drafted where he got drafted. It really is an unfortunate attitude, and it's just one owner in the top 10, but I suspect other teams feel that way, other coaches feel that way, other GMs feel that way, just like we had Ryan Day, the Ohio State uh, coach, inadvertently blurt out the truth on Monday regarding his thoughts on the players who chose to opt out from the Buckeyes program. There's a report that Washington could pull basically the Ricky Williams maneuver, and Washington was the recipient, the beneficiary, the team that got all of those New Orleans draft picks in 1999 when the New Orleans Saints had to have Ricky Williams, Washington thinking about unloading all their picks in an effort to move up to get Trey Lance. Now, the target would have to be four, I would assume, unless the 49ers, more about them in a minute, are secretly coveting Trey Lance. But, uh, Look, I I don't think giving up your whole draft is all that dramatic anymore because beyond the first two picks, actually beyond the first three, who cares about four, five, six, and seven? Being two first round, I'd rather give up all of one draft, frankly, than multiple first round picks. Uh, Although uh, there is something to be said for having multiple lottery tickets. I'd have to think that one through a little bit more, but I'm not as blown away by the idea that if you look at Washington's draft capital, they don't have a sixth rounder. They're giving up six picks overall. 
to, to move up and get Trey Lance. Uh, it's intriguing. It adds a little spice to this process. And if they're convinced he's the guy, if he's the answer, if this isn't Dan Snyder on his yacht playing fantasy football, but true methodical football analysis, if that's what they choose to do, go ahead and do it. I mean, it would certainly be interesting to see. I think that you're right that the Falcons would have to be the target there at four overall, or maybe you're talking about six with Miami, but I feel like Miami still wants a premium player. Otherwise, they would have just sat back where they were at 12. So I I don't know. I, I think you're right about how it's not necessarily as dramatic as it sounds if you give up your entire draft for one player, especially because... If it's one first-round pick, a second-round pick, and two third-round picks, that that's basically what it is, at least in my mind. Because, you know, your, your six, your sevens, you know, sometimes, a lot of times those guys don't even work out, and those are kind of special teams players. So you, if you're really good at scouting, you can bring in a bunch of undrafted free agents and say, hey, we don't have a draft class. You know, come on in, and you're probably going to get a spot on our team because we think you can fill a specific role. That, to me, makes the whole one draft thing a little bit less dramatic. But I don't know. I I think I would have a hard time doing that for Trey Lance just because we didn't see him much in the 2020 season. But I guess Washington has Ryan Fitzpatrick to start out anyway. So when Fitzmagic turns to Fitztragic, then they could turn to Trey Lance. The whole thing sounds fun. I'd like to see it happen. I just I don't know that that's something that they would do. Wouldn't that be fitting if for the second straight year, Ryan Fitzpatrick ends up being the guy who keeps the seat warm until a top five pick (laughs) is ready to go? And four probably would be the target. Now, the Falcons reportedly are aligned between coach and general manager as to what they would like to do earlier this week. Chris Mortensen of ESPN reported that Terry Fontenot, the GM, wanted to go quarterback at four, and that Arthur Smith, the head coach, believes that Matt Ryan has at least two good years left in him. So there was a little bit of a schism there. The report from Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is, I think, technically that they are aligned and and maybe always have been. I, I interpreted it as that they're now aligned. A Falcon source has since told me they were always aligned. And you know, look, they're going to say what they have to say to avoid the appearance of any type of issues between two new colleagues who have two very different jobs in the organization. But Miles, what I said earlier today on PFT Live, it's going to come down to what Arthur Blank wants. What he wants is going to be made known to Rich McKay, who's going to make it known to Terry Fontenot and to Arthur Smith. And that's that. And that's what's going to happen. And I I think that, frankly, Arthur Blank had something to do with Matt Ryan being the third overall pick back in 2008. And it worked. So that's all the more reason for Arthur Blank to do it again when it's time to get a new franchise quarterback, if that's what he wants, or if he wants to see it through the next two, three, four years, however long with Matt Ryan. Well, first of all, when I when I heard that report that, you know, there was a schism already between Fontenot and Smith, it's like, my goodness, guys, you haven't even been on the job for three months. Like, you got to be in lockstep here. Like, so whether or not they are now aligned or they've always been aligned, you better hope if you're the Falcons that they are aligned and that they always have been aligned. Because if you already are in a situation where head coach and general manager are not in lockstep, that is a huge problem. Usually you won't see that until a couple years in where, you know, they're like, man, we're not really winning. And the coach says, well, the groceries aren't good. And the GM says, we have a terrible chef. And that's where you get that clash. You can't have this schism already if you are the Atlanta Falcons. So for any Atlanta Falcons fan, I hope that it is true that they are aligned and that they already have always have been. And you can have a difference of opinion on something, but you do have to get it worked out. The GM and the head coach need to always be on the same page. They need to have the same accountability. The worst thing that an NFL team can have is the GM and the coach operating on different tracks of when they may be fired and why they may be fired. If they are lumped together and if the message is either you both succeed or you both fail, and if you both fail, you both get fired, if you don't have that attitude, that's when the coach, while he's trying to win the game, has to worry about the GM sitting next to the owner in the luxury suite, criticizing and judging everything that the coach is doing right and wrong, because if this all goes sideways, the coach goes, I stay. It's human nature to give into that. That's why the owner needs to understand human nature and make it clear to coach and GM, you both get fired or neither get fired, and we're going to avoid this situation where you have a coach with a new GM, 
You have a GM who's hiring multiple coaches because the last one got thrown under the bus because the team stunk and the GM won the power struggle. That's not good for anybody over the long haul. All right, last point. Speaking of coaches and GMs who are on the same page, reportedly, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch of the 49ers, coach and GM respectively, are not letting anyone in the building know what they're planning to do with the third overall pick in the draft. And it's really meaningless because we know it's going to be Trevor Lawrence and then Zach Wilson one and two. It doesn't matter if they let us know. But you know where it matters, Miles? It matters from the show about nothing that's going to be on TV in 20 nights when the NFL wants maximum mystery. The mystery's gone for pick one. The mystery's gone for week two. The only mystery, or pick two, the only mystery left is pick three. So good. The, the league office has to be very happy with the 49ers for keeping their mouths shut because they want people to tune in during that first hour so the rating will be significant. You're not tuning in to see what the Jaguars do. You're not tuning in to see what the Jets do. Right now, you're tuning in to see what the 49ers do, and it looks like they're going to keep that as quiet as they can for the next 20 days. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that always happens. Look, and I think it's just what we were kind of just talking about with the Falcons, right? As long as your head coach and GM are on the same page, then it's fine. And uh, frankly, uh, and also the owner, I mean, you know, you got to talk about Jed York in there too. I'm sure he is pretty well aware of exactly what Shanahan and Lynch want to do because they've had an idea of what they want to do and a plan for what they were going to do since they elected to make the trade up to number three overall. If they didn't know what they were going to do with that pick, they would not have traded up for it. And I would say that and believe that until the cows come home. They can talk about how they were undecided. They still need to check boxes, this, that, the third. No, they knew exactly who they wanted. And they know exactly who they're going to get, I think. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it in the first place. So this is, this- you know, it's standard. Uh, oh, we're going to just keep the mystery up for as long as possible. That's fine. And this is the guy Shanahan wants. He's the guy who runs the show there, even though he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. He's in charge, and John Lynch helps set the table for Kyle Shanahan, although I really don't think Kyle Shanahan wanted Jimmy Garoppolo. He had to be talked into it. All right, I've been talked into taking a break because we have spent a lot of time on our first two segments. We're going to have fun with segment three. It's Masters weekend, so we're going to have a draft of the ultimate NFL-related golf foursomes. Us plus three others. I think that's how we're doing it. If not, I'll find out when PFT PM continues right after this. Well, I've been trying to defend people and just say, I think it's great that you guys are actually publicly having the conversation. I think that's a positive, that Lafleur is willing to talk about it. You are, and that means it's going in the right direction. I know a lot of people thought it was a negative, and I just didn't see it that way. Nothing negative about having a lot of experience and being able to do things that other quarterbacks just can't do. Yeah, right, right. Or haven't done. Right, right. You, know? you have to putt. Go ahead. Okay. I got an eagle. Come on, impress us one more time. Chris Simpson, Aaron Rodgers, in Tahoe a couple of years ago. Too short of a foursome. We could have completed that foursome, Miles. Not that Aaron Rodgers would have wanted me to be part of that foursome, but uh, that would have been fun. That would have made it interesting. That would have made it spicy. All right, here's our draft for today. The ultimate NFL-related foursomes. Any NFL figure, past, present, even future, if you choose to do so. Us plus three others. Go. You're up first. Okay, uh, my first is Bruce Arians, and I will tell you why. Because I am a very bad golfer. Uh, it's just not. Who are, really my Who are the other two? Who are the other two? It can't just be Bruce Arians. Who are the other two? Oh wait, I'm going all all, all three of them. Okay, all right. Yes, uh, Bruce Arians. Uh, give me Peyton Manning, and then Jerry Rice. So those all are right. my three. Because Bruce Arians is the kind of golfer that would make sure that everybody has a drink in their hand if they don't have a club in their hands. And that's my kind of golf. Peyton Manning, we'd hear stories about the rookie year with Bruce Arians and Peyton Manning. That sounds very interesting to me. Jerry Rice, he's supposed to be a very good golfer. So he would probably hear Peyton would be the best of uh, the four of us. So, And also, he's the best receiver of all time. So who wouldn't want to golf with him, right? Those are Those are my guys. Oh, they got the cigars, too. I would definitely want to be part of that force. And Peter and I were talking earlier today about the Chicago Bears and Richard Dent's classic line that they won a Super Bowl because of Mike Ditka, and they won a Super Bowl and only a Super Bowl because of Mike Ditka. I would want Mike Ditka, Jim McMahon, Buddy Ryan, and just, just hang out and just see how it all played out and just kind of be there. I don't know that I'd survive the 18 holes. I'd keep my mouth shut and my ears and eyes open, and that would be a raucous four or five hours or longer on the golf course, Miles. 
See, you want to have, all right, we want to have the same kind of time on the golf course. It's not really about the golf. It's more about the company and the camaraderie or lack thereof and all the different stories that would come out. I completely misunderstood the assignment, and I'll take the fall for it. I didn't realize it was three others one at a time. I thought we were coming up with multiple foursomes. I got a list of a bunch of different foursomes. Miles, let me run some of these by you. We had Aaron Rodgers on earlier with with Chris Sims. I would want to go Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, Mark Murphy, the mad scientist who's cooked up this awkward situation in Green Bay. Wouldn't that be fun to be around those guys for four or five hours? I might, I might substitute Mark Murphy for Matt LaFleur because you have to go into all of the different nuances probably with him and then with the two quarterbacks. I think that would be fun. And also, I've met Matt LaFleur before, and we worked together on 2017 with the Rams. So I guess that's a personal. Well, Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur is great, and, and none of this is, is his doing, I don't believe. The Jordan Love right, thing was not his fun. pick. Yeah, yeah. Well, but but I'd want the guy there who made the call, who seems to be thinking we've got protection against Aaron Rodgers slipping, and we've also got the presence of a guy that's going to piss him off just enough that he's maybe going to be the MVP. Oh, wait, he was the MVP in 2020. Maybe he's still pissed off enough that he'll be the MVP in 2021. But, you know, when you're around people who know each other and you can just kind of observe and you see how they interact and the body language, you can't avoid awkward for five hours. If there's any awkward at all, it's going to come out in the interpersonal relationships on the golf course, isn't it? Who's going to, who's going to bust the other guy's chops? What, who are they going to make fun of, right? What, what are they going to do when the guy's getting ready to tee off? You know, I, I, I just think that by the time you get to the 18th hole, you will know a lot about how each of those three individuals actually feels about why, why are you laughing? I think we should golf. I think, I think I'll learn a lot about you and you'll learn a lot about me over the nine hours that we'll be out there because that's how long it would take me to hole out 18 times. You, you, you would probably hate uh, golfing with me. I would hate golfing with myself because I'm terrible at it. Okay, let me run one other threesome by you because I got, I got another one that we could do. How about Andy Reid? Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I just want to hear stories about their about the 2019 season, and then one of them could bring us some barbecue because I think Andy Reid would have the connection from Q39, right? Or Arthur Bryant's down there in Kansas City, and we would have a great time just eating all day and maybe swinging some I, clubs too. I would swap out Andy Reid for Post Malone because of the story that was told about Kelsey. Mahomes and Malone before his concert and they got drunk off their ass. So I'm going to win at golf and I'm going to take all their money. That's my ideal foursome. So sorry, Andy, you can stay in the clubhouse and eat hamburgers. I want post Malone out there plus a fully stocked beer cart. Cause those three guys are going to get blitzed and I'm going to win with a 125. That's a pretty good idea. Um, I don't mind that. I, Post Malone can maybe play us a couple songs. We'll stay. We'll uh, wow. Circles. Know any of those, Mike? I don't know any of his songs. I just know who he is. <laughs> my, son, my son used to be a big Post Malone fan, but then, but then I, I don't know. Like the, the, the taste change and Post Malone's kind of outdated now. So uh, sorry, Post Malone. Wasn't there a song? Wasn't there a to Post me. Malone song that was like top 40? I, I, I don't I. I, I get very what? depressed. I get very depressed now when I realize how completely out of touch I am when it comes to pulp culture of that, of that kind. All right, let's take a break. Mailbag time when we wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM right after this. Your face, the Manning face. Do you... <laughs> Do you did you know like when it, the Manning face would get captured? Were you like, oh crap! I had my mouth open there and I was staring off into space. You're not thinking about the face that you're making, whether your <laughs> mouth's open or you're just kind of wandering off for a little bit. Like it, it was never a concern. And then, you know, I think at, at that once it kind of came out and, and you see it, you're like, well, that's just it is what it is. If you know, I got too many things to worry about during a game. I can't worry about my, my, you know, face that I'm making 
uh, at every moment when a camera could be on me. Uh, yeah. And they usually, it's usually catchy when something good is, is not happening. When something bad is happening, that's usually when it's like, all right, let's pan, you know, see what Eli's face he's making. That's Eli Manning with Big Cat and PFT Commenter, the wildly popular Pardon My Take podcast. Miles Simmons and Mike Florio here for the next few minutes. Mailbag time. New York, Nick, if you're the Giants, do you draft an offensive weapon in round one or do you draft other needs like pass rush? What if Kyle Pitts is there at number 11? Well, first of all, Kyle Pitts is not going to be there at number 11. But, uh, Miles, what do you think? Do they go weapon or do they go elsewhere? I I uh, I don't know. I I might mm, I think I might go elsewhere because you've signed Kenny Galladay already. You're gonna get Saquon Barkley back. You have some weapons. You have some talent already there within uh, that offensive that offensive system. I don't know. I, that's tough because you can never really have too many weapons too. So if you have somebody like Kenny Galladay and then you want to draft somebody else that's already there. Look, if Kyle Pitts is there, which he's not gonna be, then you would run up to the podium, right? But I don't think I'm doing a good job of answering this question. Well, look, the Giants were great when they had a great offensive line and a great defensive line. And even if, even though it's boring for draft night to hear offensive linemen and defensive linemen called from the podium, I think that's what the Giants need. Now, they got the weapons. They need the blocking and or the guys who can get through blocking to help the defense get better. All right, the next question from Matt Casey, I'm going to skip because he's an ass and I was going to say whole right after it. Isn't it funny how you can say ass and then say whole, but you can't say both together? I guess you can. It, but if you want to still be employed, you have to have a couple of words between the two. All right, manual 7223. With the new number rules potentially being introduced, what historic player would you have liked to have in a different number, Miles? Any thoughts? I don't want any player to have a different number because the, the historically, those numbers were right for the players, right? So I think that anytime you're talking about a player that had a number that was right, it should just stay that way. And I think that the number should stay that way now. There we go. What a shock. What a shock. We will get <laughs> off your lawn for the entire weekend. I still wish Anthony Carter would have, would have been able to wear number one. He was all legs. He was short, but he was all legs, and he would have had the bottom of the number one tucked into his pants, but that's what he was at Michigan. I just wish guys could come to the NFL and continue to wear the numbers that we got to know them wearing in college. That's it. Thanks for some of your time. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Be smart. We'll see you back here on Monday.